Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, uh, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're one of your weekly, bi-weekly Star Trek podcasts. We talk all things Trek, whether it's movies, TV shows, comics, games. For the past couple months, we've been kind of doing a refresh as we get ready for the Picard show. It's been called Prepping for Picard. We're going to wrap that up today and talk Picard Episode 1. And as always, I am one of your hosts, Greg Bosco. And with me, of course, is Mr. Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hello, hello, Greg. Welcome to a new series of Star Trek. Uh, another new series, and apparently we're going to be getting many more series based on all the all the little news that we've been seeing lately. Yeah, there's a lot that's uh, that's in the works, you know, and Discovery will be back for Season 3 this year, and Lower Decks will kick off at some point in 2020 as well, so even just this year alone, we'll see three different Star Trek TV series. And I'm actually calling it that I think Season 3 is the end of Discovery. Really? Uh, not not just not because of, you know, quality or anything, but I, I think, look at how much content there is out there, and it's starting to hit almost at Star Wars level. Or even Disney said, all right, we're going to take a break from the Star Wars movies for a bit. Because if you oversaturate, then it kind of divides the audiences a lot. Well, you're certainly right about that. The studio, though, has been kind of open, saying that they want to have a different show of Star Trek going year-round. Never really overlapping, but just from one to another. So I don't know, man. I think they might keep Discovery around until they have enough to fill the slate. Well, I'm still hopeful for the, for the you know Captain Pike show. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, that would that would be wonderful. I don't think there's too many people who would uh, be unhappy with that decision. I think uh, I actually want to say that the studio is probably surprised so many people liked Anson Mount to number one and just wanted a Captain Pike show. I don't think I don't think anybody anticipated how good they were going to be on screen. Well, they were all great. I mean, Anson Mount, of course, was wonderful. Rebecca Romaine was wonderful, and Ethan Peck was really great as Spock, um, you know, just from casting decisions alone. And that Enterprise bridge set that we got to see was just gorgeous. Um, it would be a shame if we never got to see it again. Yeah, if they build it and immediately put it into storage, I will have many questions. <laughs> but that's not I. what we're here for. We're not here for to just talk Discovery. We're going to wrap up prepping for Picard uh, and then talk Picard Episode 1. Uh, this is probably going to be the last time we do a Prepping for Picard episode, so I would like to kick it over to you. This was your baby. You created this. You had this concept, which, by the way, I am seeing other creators use the same concept, so I like it. I like that 
so many Star Trek fans had the same idea to come up with their favorite Picard episodes. Well, yeah. So back in June, I put out a list on heroespodcast.com where I put together my top 20 quintessential Picard episodes. And these were about the character Picard, not necessarily the show Picard, because we knew very little about it at the time. We had no teasers or trailers. We didn't really know anything other than Picard. And so I put together these 20 episodes, some of which are two-parters, to be fair. Um, And then we talked about them on the show, starting with episode 73. And we jumped around a little bit with the most recent and final one being episode 85, where Ray, who's been a uh, recurring uh, guest on the show, and I talked about the finale to TNG, all good things. But now that the Picard show has is, is happening and we know so much more about it, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to talk about some TNG episodes or films that didn't make the list but are important to the show. And you know, like there's an easy one, of course, which is I Borg, because we know that Hugh, the the Borg character Hugh, is going to be in Picard season one. And if you don't know I Borg or Descent, you don't know who he is. Um, so Greg, since I made the original list, I'm curious, is there anything off anything that didn't make the list that you now think maybe people should cover? Well, and that's, you know, I've been thinking about that because there is so much Star Trek content. There's so much just quality episodes out there. And I, it's always easy to armchair quarterback, right? After you do a big project and you go back and look and say, I could have done this or I should have done this. But it's really hard for me to do that because, for example, there's that like five, six or seven episode stretch in season three that culminates with yesterday's Enterprise and Best of Both Worlds where there's like seven, I think it's like five, it's like six or seven amazing episodes back to back to back that we could have named for Picard. You know, whether it's they're dealing with the one episode with the girl that, you know, she she had a, the clan vengeance episode where she wanted to get revenge on the people that murdered her family like a hundred years in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it shows that even though Picard has a greater mission for Starfleet, he's also not going to let, you know, petty revenge get in the way of that. And again, it's just the really what what revisiting all these Picard episodes taught me was. Whether they intended it or not, Patrick Stewart and Captain Picard was so integral to Next Generation that I legitimately think without him, you have a a hugely different show. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think, I don't know, I, I like kind of doing, you know, in, in the corporate world, the private sector world, which I've worked in for the last decade of my life. Um, you know, they use a term called, you know, do, doing a post-mortem after a project, which I never liked that term because we're not talking about anybody who's actually died, but um, it's looking back on a project and say, well, what could we have done differently or better given, you know, the, our, our hindsight, right? And um, I think knowing now what the Picard show at least appears to be, what we're being told that it is, there are several other episodes I think that would have been helpful. Um, Data being such a large influence on the Picard character as well as the Picard show certainly makes me feel like I I should have included some Data arcs a little more intently. And so that would include um, what basically the the lore trilogy, which is Data lore, Brothers, and the two-part Descent. 
I think those three are really important because you learn about where Data came from. You learn that he has a brother. You get to meet Soong and find out why Data was created in the first place. And um, if you tie Iborg into this as well, Descent is a finale not just for Lore, but also for Iborg. And for, for Hugh, as far as we knew at the time. Um, so I would definitely include those four episodes in my list. Um, and the, the only other one I would include, and this encroaches on spoiler territory for uh, Star Trek Picard episode one remembrance, uh, but pretty high level is the episode, the offspring where data creates a daughter lol. Um, I think that episode also would have been very important to people. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Greg? I mean, I agree with you because I love that episode. But as when we start talking about Picard, I'll admit I was a little less happy with the premiere. And The Offspring is a great episode. But unfortunately, they don't even reference LOL at all one time in the episode Remembrance. And we're going to talk about that. But it's it's funny that we talk about that little postmortem idea of what would we have done I actually would have added an episode from season four, and it's a goofy episode. Remember Cupid? Oh, I love that episode. And the only reason I started thinking about that lately is the Picard we get in the current show is... I hate to use the term beaten down, but maybe he's a little bit defeated. Because he's had a rough couple years towards his end of his career. Things haven't gone the way he wanted. And Cupid was a good reminder of... Even though it was a holodeck simulation and Q was involved in all this stuff, he still gave it his all. Just like Patrick Stewart, or excuse me, just like Captain Picard always did. He doesn't do things half-assed, even on a holodeck. No, I, I think you're right. I think there are a few episodes, and Cupid's one of my favorites, I absolutely love it, um, where you could really show the lighter side of Picard. Um, the Big Goodbye, for example... Um, which is really early in season one where you get introduced to his kind of holodeck, his holodeck fantasies, um, you know, and he plays the, the private eye and everything. I think that also shows a side of, of Picard that a lot of people forget, you know, because he's such the, the diplomat that people don't think about what does he do for fun. That's a good point. And nobody really talks about that, even to the point when. He joins him at the at the end of all good things when he joins for the card game. And he's like, I should have done this a long time ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you you were always welcome. But I get it because you mentioned the, the private sector world and the public sector world. I've worked in some leadership roles where you kind of have to be distant from the people below you. Not just because of morals and ethics, but it kind of helps to separate the leadership versus the workers. And I hate to say it like that, but Picard always kind of gave off that in that in that that suggestion that he loved his crew and he loved his people and he was willing to do whatever it could, he could for them. And there's so many episodes out there that we could name. We could spend the next 10 episodes of, of red shirts and runabouts talking about episodes we missed. Mm -hmm. No, you're, I think you're right. And I think, you know, of course we only have one episode to go off of right now. So we may, this is something maybe you could go back to when the season's over and, and see even more, um, but it really just comes down to knowing what what's the background information that you need. And 
I think the list was pretty solid. I, I think Iborg is really the, the major one that would have been helpful. And then, of course, I didn't do this yet, but maybe a best of seven of nine from Voyager because you know she's looking to play a, a decent role here this season and I don't have anything outside of TNG. I don't even have the movies. I mean, a huge argument could be made for Star Trek Nemesis needing to be on this list um, because of it's the way data dies it's the way data's story ends and it's the last time picard sees him and it's the last time we saw all of these characters so you know adding nemesis and iborg to the list would have been huge adding something from from seven of nine i think would have been great as well just so people know who is this person you know because just because you you watch the next generation doesn't mean you watched voyager you know, there are some diehard TNG fans out there who just never watched Voyager for whatever reason. And Seven of Nine doesn't mean anything to you other than you're probably like, oh, right, she's the Borg from Voyager. Maybe that's all you know. Uh, but she's so much more than that from a character perspective. So I don't know. I'm thinking about putting together a Seven of Nine list. Um, and depending on these other characters, you know, how big of a role do Troy and Riker have, for example, you know, maybe um maybe creating a small list for them but yeah because uh, you're right we we so early into the picard show we don't know if they're going to be you know five minutes of an episode or if they're going to be recurring themes like we don't know if we'll ever see data again mm -hmm. you know we've seen glimpses of them we've seen some dreams but will brent spiner be back it's it's hard to tell i'm assuming yes but so we did have one big piece of actual Star Trek news that relates to Picard before we jump into the episode that I just wanted to bring up because personally it's incredibly exciting. And that is Patrick Stewart has officially and formally invited Whoopi Goldberg to join the show in season two. And not only that, but season two has already been like approved. So right. his invitation to her isn't just a little fun thing between friends it's a legitimate offer at this point it is it's absolutely legitimate it's been greenlit and he did this on the view it's uh the, the tv show the view that Whoopi goldberg hosts and uh it's a wonderful segment you should go out you should find it uh you can go to at red shirts pod on twitter it's in our feed um uh, if you if if you don't know where else to get it but it's a wonderful clip and i uh Guinan has always been one of my favorite characters in star trek and i never felt like we got enough of her. Her character was never really given the justice it deserved. You know, she's, she's in generations for a little bit. She's, she's in the background in nemesis, but she doesn't even have any lines and she's not in first contact or insurrection at all. So the last we really see her that has any real character development is primarily the show. Um, and I always wanted more from her, more of her relationship with Picard. Why does he trust her so, so implicitly in things like yesterday's enterprise? Or, or Time's Arrow even. You know, why? I want to know more about that. So knowing that she has an opportunity now to come back in a show that is much more character focused, um, I'm just, I'm very excited. What do you think? No, I'm with you on that because she always played an integral role in Next Generation and that relationship has always been there, whether it's a relationship, it's not a romance, it's, it's a trusting, reliable friendship, which is almost more important to a lot of people. So if Whoopi Goldberg is interested, I'm sure they got her hats somewhere for Guinan. Just break <laughs> her out and 
have her show up and make it make it happen in a way that's meaningful, not just he calls her and there she is. Make have have something terrible going on, and she hears about it on the sidelines, and she then she she decides to intervene to help out her old friend John Luke. Well, because her species lives significantly longer than ours, so Picard is old, but she's not. You know, I mean, she's I guess by this point, you know, she's like six hundred and fifty years old or something like that. I think um, I'd have to double check on that, but. You know, the, these 20 years that have passed are, are not as much to her, you know, and so I'd no, be curious to see how much has her character changed in that time. If you live 800 years, you know, like a Wookiee or something like that, what is 20 years to you versus 20 years to us? And the last time we really engaged with her since then and now, not only have the Borg attacked again, but the Federation's been involved with a catastrophic war with the Dominion. So I know she's going to have a lot of feedback for people on, on how on what that means to the people of the Federation and and Picard himself. Absolutely. Um, okay, so before we dive into spoilers for Star Trek Picard Episode One Remembrance, uh, just a few small notes for people who may have questions about it. So it's basically being released if you're in uh, the United States and have access to CBS All Access, the streaming service. It's being released at midnight on Thursdays Pacific time. So Greg and I are in Kansas City, so that's um, 2 a.m. for us, for example. You know, it'd be 3 a.m. for people in New York or Philadelphia. And um, that can get a little complicated for people. So I'm just, you know, spoiler warnings for facebook and twitter and all that stuff um you know if you get to see it early try using the hashtag star trek picard so people can filter that out on twitter and um there's also a after show the ready room um which is now being hosted by will wheaton which uh greg did you watch that at all i watched a couple clips uh, you know and that's something you and i talked about with discovery i have a hard time getting into the after show stuff like, even with Game of Thrones, I just couldn't, you know, the first five or ten minutes, I'm like, meh. And then I just lose interest. Well, fair enough. Well, so I, I did watch it. We, if we want, we, if we have time, we can talk about it at the end. But um, I just want to th- do a shout out to Will Wheaton that he's hosting this. And I thought he was wonderful. And um, so just props to him for, for doing that. But Well, he's a, uh, he's a natural when it comes to interacting with people and even fans in general. And obviously he knows Trek. And that's oh, something yeah. you and I talked about with Discovery Season 1 is the after show, the after treks, it almost seemed too fake to be real. And it was. I mean, it, they they were passionate, but I don't think they were passionate for the right reasons. Whereas Will Wheaton, he knows what to emphasize, what not to emphasize, what to talk about, what not to talk about. It's because he's Star Trek royalty at this point. Well, and what's great about this without giving anything away is that it's it's straight up an interview format. He brings on guests that have to do with the show and he interviews them about the show. And so, yeah, it's it's polished, right? And I'm sure the questions are agreed upon ahead of time, but it's not it's not overly fan servicey. It's straight up just like production questions, story questions, you know, things like that, which is really cool. So, uh it doesn't come off as as cheesy or or you know, BSE or anything like that. It really comes across as genuine because these are cool questions for behind the scenes stuff that at least someone like me, I'm really interested in. So, um, but all right, so let's, um, let's, let's do our spoiler warning right now. 
We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do our deep dive discussion into Star Trek Picard Episode 1, Remembrance. Recently, on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main think... What's the main planet that Endor, the forest moon of Endor? It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet, then? See, th- isn't that confusing? Yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Kaiju Curry House. It got to the point where he started climbing the Empire State Building, and my mom is like, he's not gonna die, is he? <laughs> oh no. My mom doesn't know shit about these films, but anyways, it was just like, mom, this doesn't end well for Kong. And she's just like, I can't watch the rest of this. Turn it off. I'm like, you can't get to this point in Peter Jackson's King Kong two hours and like whatever many minutes later and not watch the end. Screen heroes. The nipples just were confusing to me because they just (laughs) they just make no sense. That is our clip, by the way. Uh, uh, But I mean, male nipples are kind of confusing anyway. So they serve zero purpose. Do you think that was the point he was trying to make? (laughs) It's a much deeper message. Yes. Is Batman and Robin a heavily (laughs) an allegory, social allegory? Yeah. (laughs) Subscribe today at HeroesPodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker podcast addict and more let's talk about medi-cal you have a choice and molina makes it easy so let's talk about making your life easier about extra help to manage your health nobody knows medi-cal better than molina visit meetmolinaca.com let's talk today with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. Uh, Derek and I were just finishing up our wrap-up of our prepping for Picard discussion for the new Picard TV show. And now, spoiler warning, we're going to start talking about the Picard show. And like we always do before we get into the episode, we kind of give our little, you know, three, five second overview. Derek, why don't you go first? Sure. So um, I've uh, I've watched it twice now, just for perspective for anybody listening and who cares about such things. But um, overall, I, I found it to be very strong. I thought the production value was really quite good in general. Uh, I like the cast a lot, um, but I do think it really would have benefited from a double length premiere, like all of the other Star Trek shows. This is the first Star Trek uh, live action Star Trek to not get a double length premiere since the original series. And so I think it really would have benefited from that to kind of get the story rolling. What about you, Greg? No, I understand what you mean about the, the, the longer premiere length would have definitely benefited. I'm probably in the minority where I say the show I've kind of found disappointing. I, I agree. The production quality was amazing. The the visuals, the scenes, the imagery, the music. This is a show where they obviously are putting hearts and souls into making. My disappointment came into with the story, and I know we're going to talk about that moving forward. But I'll also admit seeing Patrick Stewart on screen again is always a joy for me. So that kind of pushes me into 
interested enough to continue watching. I'm not going to say it's like, I, I mean, I've been reading some reviews online where people are like, oh, it's a complete betrayal of Star Trek. Just stop watching now. I'm like, all right, well, don't go that far. <laughs> you know, you, you and I <laughs> talked about that. You can love something and still criticize it. Yeah. And that's what I am. I'm a Star Trek fan. I don't mind criticizing it. But, you know, I'm, I am happy to see it back at least. Well, I, and I always think, like, if you've watched one episode of a show and want to condemn it to the the depths of hell or something like that, especially in a franchise like this, like, it just seems kind of disingenuous. Because um, there's lots of bad episodes in Star Trek, you know? Um, and they don't necess- those episodes don't reflect the entire series. I mean, TNG's got some bad episodes. Uh, Code of Honor, for example, is a bad episode. Um, for very specific reasons in Voyager, you've got threshold, which is terrible for a whole nother group of reasons. Um, if you were to say that those two episodes completely represent their, their series, I mean, come on, that's just not realistic. Um, no, and it's, it's why I understand criticism of enterprise when the first people complained that the first season and a half was slow. Well, it was, and people admitted that the creators admitted that, but the last two and a half seasons of enterprise were pretty amazing. And it's a shame that they just couldn't get past that hump of lost viewers after a season and a half. But I'm with you. It's we could do it. Look, maybe that's one of the specials we'll do is we'll take the ten worst episode, worst rated episodes on IMDb of Star Trek and watch them and talk about them. Oh, I'm for that. That's a great idea. Um, so okay, so we did a, t- a poll on our Twitter. So at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter, we did a poll, and we did these um, a while back when. Uh, short treks was coming on and things like that but i decided to start it back up with picard uh, especially for the premiere and that was um just a letter grading on how you would rate the show and um i will say this does paint you greg as kind of in the minority because 85 percent gave it an a with 13 percent giving it a b and two percent giving it a c nobody went lower than that at all so greg if you were to kind of define summarize your your feelings in a letter grade where would that sit i i would give it a solid c i'm not going to give it an f or a d that's you know an f or a d is code of honor i mean that's an (laughs) f uh and even there are certain episodes out there that are you know bad this this gets me because of the story and the overall plot and that's what brings it down it's it's the production quality the acting talent and the dedication that gives it a boost to me. Well, that's fair. All right, so then let's let's dig into it. Let's dig into things here. So, uh, you mentioned Patrick Stewart and his performance. Um, I, I thought that the strongest thing in this episode is the acting talent. I think that this whole cast. I mean, Patrick Stewart's an incredibly phenomenal actor, and I I love him. But I thought everybody else did a really good job in this Um, because a lot of these actors, I mean, I don't know these people. These people are new to me and um, I I just thought they were really solid. Did you have a a standout or anybody you thought, you know, really did a good job? Well, this is going to make me sound like a jerk because I I didn't write her name down in my notes. But the (laughs) the female scientist that I was starting to call Discount Kristen Bell because uh, Allison Pill is her real name. Yeah, and I I really liked it. I liked her dedication. I liked how she was talking. I liked how she was interacting. I thought she looked good on screen. And I'm not saying just physically. I mean, her presence. You can find any good-looking actor or actress to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. But it takes a certain skill to have that presence on screen. 
I like that the whole time she's interacting with Picard, you can tell that she's bitter about everything that's happened to her and happened to her career. And that's, to me, and Derek, you've, you've known me for a long time, especially with our podcast. I like it when characters act real. And acting bitter about how your career has gone is very real to a lot of people. I've been that way many times. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think you're right. I thought she was great. Um, I really like the two Romulans who are on Chateau Picard, who are kind of, you know, helping Picard in his his later life. And so those those are uh, Laris and uh, Zaban, and they're played by Orla Brady and Jamie McShane. I thought they were really good. Um, we don't get a lot like Romulans are in Star Trek a lot, but they're all, like such one note characters so often. You know, they're these closed off, guarded, sneaky, but highly intelligent people, right? And they all wear the exact same thing with the same haircut. And this isn't like that. These two are just completely like fleshed out organic characters that have their own looks. They look different. They don't look exactly the same. And um, I, I like that the Romulans are finally getting that type of treatment after the Klingons and Vulcans have had their shot. But I thought both actors just brought a really strong presence to balance Patrick Stewart because it's really kind of the three of them early on. Um, and it is no easy task to play opposite an actor like Patrick Stewart when he's taking back a character that's so iconic. No, I'm with you on that. And that's one of the criticisms online that I will poke at is people talking about how the Romulans were our enemies for a long time. Blah, 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 blah. Like all this, that, and the other. I'm like, well, okay, there is that. They helped us with the war against the Dominion. They lost millions. Granted, it was kind of through a bit of subterfuge. They lost Romulus. So Romulus was destroyed. And we know at least the Federation was willing to try to help them. Now, of everything we've known about Romulans and even and Klingons, of course, you know, yesterday's Enterprise, it's not always if you're successful at helping them, it's you putting through the effort to help them that they remember. And even you, with what we saw through this episode, you know, building a flotilla and trying to get it to them and something happening, to the Romulan people, that's still going to be a huge sign of, well, the Federation made an effort. They sure as hell didn't go to the Klingons, probably, and go, hey, are you going to help us? The Klingons were probably watching from the border going, eh, sucks to be you. Well, let's not forget that in Nemesis, Picard and therefore Starfleet and the Federation are responsible for taking down Shinzon, who the Romulan government considered to be a traitor. Yeah, absolutely. They helped the Romulans multiple times at this point. You know, I mean, Shinzon was responsible for murdering basically the entire Romulan government, you know, and all the all the government heads. And Picard was was responsible for taking him down and helping restore Romulus to its original state. That wasn't forgotten either. So, yeah, I mean, 20 years ago, the Romulans were our enemies, but it's been 20 years. Things do change. The Klingons are no longer our enemies. Everyone's okay with that. Um, things change so you know and that's the point i think that's really being made in the interview scene when picard's being interviewed and you know she goes you know romulan lives and he goes no lives because it shouldn't matter right it's it's lives that's the phrase it doesn't matter what kind they are we're supposed to try and save people that's the mission of starfleet is a positive one 
I mean, hell, let's go all the way back to Best of Both Worlds where, you know, the Klingons are sending ships and the one Admiral says, hell, we've even tried to open up communications with the Romulans. So they're not... They're not so anti-this, anti-that that they refuse to help one another. That happened 30 years ago when it was a topic. Well, because they, they respected each other. They might not ever say it, right? But there was a lot of mutual respect there, which is why they weren't constantly at war with each other. You know, and your point about the Dominion War, I think, is significant. That all three major powers came together to fight the Dominion is no small feat. And that was only a few years prior to Nemesis. So... That's all very important, and I think the the tone of the show here is what really drives drives me into it. Is this i is the way it parallels our society society today? The idea that there are people who were trying to do good, trying to do the right thing, and in a moment of tragedy, in a moment of panic, people took that opportunity to turn inward and against the ideals that we were supposed to stand for. Exactly. And, it's taking a good thing and turning it around to make it look like a bad thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think that it's important that it's Picard of all people who wants to point this out because that's who he is. I mean, look at that character throughout Star Trek. Look at even just the movies. In Insurrection, he straight up takes off his badge and his pips and steals the... um well, he's going to steal the captain's yacht to go against and fight against an admiral of the Federation and their allies. He does it multiple times on the show. He does it. He is always one to go against Starfleet when they are in the wrong. I mean, he does it in the Offspring, which is which is referenced in this episode very subtly. But you know, he does it in the Offspring when he refuses to turn over Law to Starfleet for experimentation. It's not who he is. I mean, it goes all the way back to measure of a man. He's given orders and Picard decides that he's going to fight them as much as he can. You know, he wasn't at the point yet. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, let's just go ahead and throw spoilers out. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't watched, if you haven't watched Picard episode one yet, stop listening and come back in 30 minutes or 60 minutes. So basically what happens is Picard is one of the huge leading factors as an admiral pushing to help save the Romulans, pushing to build a fleet. Yeah. I'll admit, I think it's a little ridiculous that they're trying to build 10,000 ships, but that's whatever. I'm not talking about the logistics, but so many people are trying to talk about how, well, the synthetics destroyed all those ships and destroyed Mars, blah, blah, blah. But okay, fine. So the synthetics did that. The synthetics were going to do something regardless of trying to help the Romulans or not. And that's what Picard was trying to say during that interview. Is yes, the the synthetics rose up. They stopped us from building it. But building the ships to try to help Romulus was important. And we had to try to help them. That's what you do. That's what you do for your neighbors, for your colleagues, for your friends. Or your enemies. Which, by the way... If you've never seen Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when Praxis explodes and poisons the Klingon homeworld, there was a faction of Starfleet that wanted to invade, yes. But the bigger faction of Starfleet wanted to do what? Help the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. It's, imp- it's an important distinction. You know, like... The Romulans are not the synthetics, and the synthetics are not the Romulans. They're not they weren't even working together as far as we know. But 
even then, you know, the synthetic storyline is very interesting here because while yes, it harkens back to measure of a man and they name drop Maddox and there's all that, all those possible ramifications of creating a slave race and all of that, which is I'm sure going to tie into things here. The Starfleet reaction to the synthetics by banning them completely outright, making their existence illegal is it is a reflection of things that our own society has done over the years. Like in World War II, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, we started putting Japanese Americans in camps, in internment camps, and how wrong that is to do to people. And this is the same thing. This is the idea that a group of people did a thing that does not mean that every everyone like that is an enemy. Or, or that we should treat people like they're our enemies because we had a duty to, to do good in our own abilities. Whatever resources we had. Was it terrible that Mars was attacked and nearly 100,000 people were killed? Of course, it's absolutely horrible. But how many more died because we then refused to continue the mission to help the Romulans? Exactly. And again, it's that's when it comes to any TV show, whether it's Star Trek or... Or any star, any of the Star Wars shows that are out there now, or Babylon Five, any of the major sci-fi shows. When you start talking numbers, it gets difficult for the basic fan to understand what's happening. Because a hundred thousand is horrible to us, you know, the idea of a hundred thousand casualties. But you know, and I'm going to reference a recent movie. I don't know if you got a chance to see 1917, the World War One movie that just came out. Not yet. It is on my list. So, I mean, they say in the trailers they're trying to stop an attack that might cost 1,500 lives. Well, that's bad until you actually read a book about World War One and you realize on July, like, 1st, 1916, the British had 30,000 casualties in a single, like, hour. And so, like, oh, well, 1,500 isn't that bad. So, 100,000 is still terrible to them, but it's still so hard for us, to us like, fans to understand what's happening. Like, the 900 million Romulans... And I know you and I were talking about that on our Red Shirts uh, Facebook group. We don't exactly know what the impact of the of the supernova was yet. It destroyed mm-hmm. Romulus, but it did destroy any other planets. Kind of, maybe we don't know. There's not a map. Like you know, we we it would be great at this point in the lore to have a map that showed you know this is where the star was and this is the blast radius. Right. These are all of the systems that were rendered inhabitable or completely destroyed when the, the star went supernova because a star going super, not every star can go supernova. It's, you know, it's a, it's a chain of reactions that has to do with the density of, of the star and the age of the star and different things like that. So, you know, how big was that explosion? Well, I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not a, an astronomer or anything like that. So I, I have no idea. And the show didn't really tell us. So we don't know. But I think it's implied, or at least I inferred, that millions of lives were lost, tens of millions of lives were lost, when the when Starfleet decided to cease its rescue mission. And yeah, because they completely stopped. They don't even make an attempt, basically, at that point. And even if it's only a million, right? A million people died because we chose to stop after less than 100,000 died from a different group of people. I mean, there's no ethical way to justify that. That's not moral. That's not doing the right. That's not upholding the values of Starfleet or the Federation. And Picard knew it. And Picard retired in protest. 
And so, Greg, I'm curious, at, at that point, in that part of the story, did you have any issues with that or where Picard as a person is? No, I actually completely understand that. And something we've talked about before and other people have, but there's, there's so much of real-life history involved with Star Trek. From Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as, a, as on, on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving... All these people and all these real life events that have impacted things, that's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. And I get that. That makes complete sense to me. And because it's so painful to have to do, like I would hate to do it in my real life, that I can understand why Picard did. You resign in disgust, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um and, you know, I, I think it just fits the tone of the character well at this particular point. So, all right. So let's let's move on then to the next thing. So, Greg, let's let's give you an opportunity. What is a, a story point that you didn't care for? Well, I was really upset with the concept of and when I say upset. So I know I'm the guy in red shirts that kind of poo poos on Star Trek. I'm not going <laughs> to like not pay my taxes or pay my bills because this episode annoyed me. I'm not one of those. You know, my life, my childhood was not ruined. But subtle context, like when you and I were talking about The Offspring, that episode with Data creating Wall. And then with this episode, you have Dodge, who is essentially, she's a Cylon from Babylon, or Babylon 5, from Battlestar Galactica at this point. From you the positronic yeah. brain, but a human body, but she can still jump like 50 feet. And it's still super strong and super fast, so I don't really understand that. But I don't think that they paid enough attention to the subtleties of everything that happened in Trek. Like, that we've known up to this point. And even basic story concepts of, like, the Romulan assassins that are trying to... They're kind of kidnapping Dodge, I think, is what they're trying to do, is take her. But... They can still, it's like they can beam onto Earth at will, right? At this point, from what we understand. Unless, unless um, I missed something. No, I kind of took it that they were already on the planet and they were just using like sight-to-sight beaming. Well, and the reason I ask is sense? why didn't they just, if they knew exactly where Dodge was all the time, why didn't they just being Dodge to them? It and might that, have something to do with the suits that they're wearing. You know, Maybe. Like, maybe maybe it's them beam into through. the suits. Yeah, it lets him beam through Starfleet shields or something. But it's because well, like those... in Nemesis, there's the the little sight to sight transporter that Data and Jordy build, right? That Data uses to save Picard. It's the big MacGuffin. Um, maybe something like that. That technology is now built into their suits or something. True, and we again maybe we'll know about that in the next episode or couple or a few. But it's just even some of the subtle things. Like, is that Romulan spitting aliens' blood? Like, it's acid now? I mean, come on. It's stuff like that. I'm like... Uh. I assume that was a chemical. Like, you know how, like, there's... you know, the, the When someone gets captured and they're, like, an agent or something, right? They have the cyanide capsule, right? Um, I kind of took this as, like, a, a more sophisticated and aggressive version of that where this person knows that they've they've failed, right? They're going to die. So they're going to try their best to take down the target with them is kind of how I took it. I hope I didn't that think is the it was case. Like his actual blood. And if I am wrong, I will buy you and Ray dinner. Like whenever we're proven <laughs> wrong, I have I have no problem admitting my shame. But when I saw that, I was like, the first thing I thought of was 
literally aliens. <laughs> like, like, you know, Ridley Scott, alien, James Cameron, aliens. No, I mean, I, I totally understand that comparison. It just, it never occurred to me that it was their blood. I always thought it was some type of chemical that they had, uh, like is like a secret agent kind of thing, but more sci-fi-ish. But I mean, I, I honestly don't expect them to ever address that. Oh, uh, you think yeah, it might I, just be a one-off? Yeah, like I figure at this point, like that thing happened and they're probably not going to show it again. Um, I'm sure we'll see people like this, agents like this, what have you, when they start going after the the next one. Um, unless, of course, it seems like maybe that's a whole different kind of methodology to get the, the other twin for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, I, I do I do see your point, though, because she does have the opportunity to fight. They put, like, the bag over her head and things like that. But you'd think that they could just slap something on her to beam her away. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, well, and I got a huge Firefly feel from this. I was like, is, am I watching River Tam? That was the first thing I thought of. I was like, I'm watching <laughs> River Tam on screen right now, again. That's a fun comparison. I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. I, I think that there's a lot of parallels there. And I think it was just used as an excuse. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To show off what her abilities are to make her appear not human, right? So that way we immediately as the audience are agreeing with Picard, right? Because... I don't think at any point they wanted the the audience to be at odds with him or think that he was just maybe, you know, out of his mind or making things up to feel important. Like, I don't think they wanted the audience to feel that way. So they show us, well, these are all these amazing abilities this person has. And a normal person wouldn't have those abilities, right? Well, and that's where I, I want to echo what you said about making this a two-parter instead is... Because when they're talking to Alice and Pill's character, they kind of allude to the fact that it's a human with a positronic brain. Well, having a positronic brain doesn't make you stronger and faster. It might make you smarter. So what the hell is going on with these two these two twins, basically? Yeah, I think we have to learn a lot about this cloning process because, you know, they're using if, if you like, OK, so data blew up with the scimitar in Nemesis. Theoretically, there would be some minor, tiny, mi microscopic components left, right? Space debris. And maybe Maddox found some. And that's where they have the essence of data to create these clones. Fine. I I'm fine with that. Whatever. But how does that process work, right? Is it Are they as flesh and blood as you and me? Or is it at the, at the subatomic level, are they completely different from us? Do they have stronger muscles and bones and things of that nature? They just don't know it until the software, so to speak, is kicked in. And that's why I made the Battlestar reference, because without spoiling too much for any of the Battlestar fans out there, when they start creating flesh and blood Cylons, they have the second egg, the secondary effect of, well, now the blood and the blood and the flesh and blood Cylons want to know what it's like to be a human, basically. And that, that becomes a huge story arc. 
Mm-hmm. Is that is that kind of what's happening with Dodge and her sister? Uh, but I also it made me you know it made me reminiscent of them not mentioning Law. Like you think Picard would have dropped her name like specifically, but maybe she can't because you and I have talked about the whole issues with licensing right now, and it's not easy to just reference old Star Trek anymore on screen. No, I, I don't think that was it because they they definitely straight up referenced that he made a daughter. That that's in the episode. I think they just left the name out in an attempt to have this be a starting point for people. You know, because with New Trek, with Star Trek Discovery and the CBS All Access streaming service, this is kind of a a new renaissance for Star Trek, unlike anything we've seen since the 90s. So there's a lot of people who maybe never saw the next generation or only saw bits and pieces. And so name dropping lol only means something to you if you've seen the content related to the offspring. Otherwise, that name doesn't mean anything. But instead, saying that Data Data created a daughter, um, and, and Picard mentions this as as he's talking to Daj, that in itself is that's the explanation. You don't really need any more to understand the point. And that's just where the discussion with Allison Pill's character, and, and and even towards the previews for the next couple episodes. You know, I'm probably the 1% of 1% of Star Trek fans that as they were making this, I was thinking of Juliana Tanner at the same time. And for those of you who don't remember that name, that was the female android that Soong made to replace the woman he fell in love with when she was dying. Mm-hmm. And she was actually in a Star Trek Next Generation episode. And it's just, that's where I'm starting to run into certain questions on what, and obviously, this is only episode one. You know, if you if I were to judge Next Generation on only ep- like an encounter at Farpoint, I would have similar concerns. I'd be like, ah, the space stations are jellyfish. That's kind of weird. Let's see what happens. <laughs> but you know, I it caught my interest enough that I do want to see episode two. So, well, that's good. That's good. So, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff in here that I think is kind of cool. I, I want to talk about the archives, um, and. So just real quick, I want to throw out that like the the only thing that really stood out to me that bothered me in this at all is their use of the Anaheim Convention Center for like Starfleet headquarters and the archives and stuff because uh, it's a very obvious building to anybody that's ever been there, and it doesn't look very futuristicy uh, <laughs> to me anyway as someone who's been there a few times, and so it just was really that's the only it took me out of it quite a bit. I'm not used to. I'm not used to watching Star Trek and seeing buildings and being like, "Oh, I've actually been in in that building before." Does that you know what you I mean? mean? And so you mean like weird. the 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 aluminum handrails that they still use? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, obviously yeah. the Anaheim Convention Center. It's you know what, and that's the same complaint a lot of people had from 2009 Trek when the engineering section is filmed in like a brewery or something. Uh, Budweiser. Like, they use the St. Yeah. St. Louis Budweiser Brewery. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like, oh, I always thought looks... that was a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, you're like, oh, it looks kind of neat. And then your your brain catches you like five minutes later. You're like, wait a second, was that a brewery? That sure as hell looks like a brewery, right? It's a little weird, and I'm just I'm not used to that at least. And maybe I, you know, it's just because I haven't been to places where they filmed other things. Because I know a lot of stuff are real buildings and real places too that I've just never been to. But this was the first time that happened to me. But anyway, so the archives and the index. Um, so Picard has to, he decides to go visit what's essentially his safe deposit box of the future. And, um, he's assisted by a hologram 
artificial intelligence named Index, which is basically the the brains of the of the archives, and we get to see his private archive. Um, was there any item in there or anything that that jumped out to you that you thought was particularly either curious or exciting, anything like that? Well, I loved seeing the model ships of the Stargazer and the Captain's Yacht. But again, seeing them kind of references like, why doesn't they have a model of the Enterprise D in there? But anyways, that's besides the point. I did like seeing the Klingon <laughs> Batlet, which raised a lot of questions on whether that could have been a Batlet from Worf or more likely he, just because Picard has done so much stuff for the Klingon Empire that somebody just gave him a Batlet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he, for, he was the freaking, what's its face, of the succession, the arbiter of succession, a human. For the Klingon Emperor, the article, the Arbiter of Succession. If that's not worthy of a battleth, I don't know what is. Oh yeah, I'm I'm absolutely with you. I I hope it's his, mainly because I feel like if it is Worf's, that's probably bad news. <laughs> um, you know, uh, like it was gifted to him in Worf's death or something like that, uh, which I wouldn't want. But um, you know, they they did have the Enterprise E. It's over by the battleth. But you're right, the Enterprise D is not there. Um, I did think it was a little interesting that they had like just really nice, like Eagle Moss quality XL models rather than like the gold ones or anything like that, that you saw back on the show. Um, but they were nice. I, I really liked, I know a lot of people have pointed this out, but I really liked the, the Captain Picard day banner. Well, um, that's a, that's huge. Cause that episode, yeah, the Pegasus episode was not only fun, but it was a huge part of Star Trek's story anyways. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of shows that even though Patrick, or excuse me, Captain Picard, would put on that tough guy exterior as captain, at the end of the day, he truly loved being captain. He did. He absolutely loved it. It was where he was meant to be. And I've, I've mentioned this before on the show that I honestly, after Generations, it never occurred to me that that man would ever become an admiral. That he would stay a captain until he left Starfleet. And I think they kind of came up with the only scenario where it makes sense for me that he would take that promotion. So in my mind, he, he gets the promotion to command the rescue fleet. That's why he's promoted to Admiral. So he can command this fleet for the Romulans. And, you know, I guess that makes sense, right? What would push Captain Picard to go to that next level would be to do the most Picard thing imaginable and try and save an entire civilization. Yeah, exactly. That was his ship, his chair. He was a great captain and, I'm with you. It would take something extremely unique to get him out of that captain's chair. Very reminiscent to, you know, James Tiberius Kirk. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. So we find out, of course, you know, so we have the scene with Dr. Girardi, who's that's Allison Pill's character. We learn all about, you know, the synthetics are banned, but they were working on all of these different techniques and Maddox was involved. And for those who don't remember, Maddox was the guy in Measure of a Man who wanted to disassemble Data. And, you know, he's the villain, but by the end of the episode, of course, he's, he's had his eyes opened, yada, yada, yada. So there's all this speculation now that we'll get to see Maddox at some point in this season of Picard. I would not be surprised if we do. Um, but we find out that they were really trying to do this. They, if they had just had data, they'd be able to do it. And we get to see B4. So B4 is there in a drawer disassembled, um, the reason I want to kind of talk about this for a little bit is it's caused a lot of conversation in the community about what canon is in Star Trek yet again. And I know, Greg, this is something you and I talk about a lot. 
Um, but prior to the 2009 film, there was a comic book, Star Trek Countdown, that was a tie-in to the movie that showed B4 now fully formed as Data. And um, people thought that meant that Data was kind of alive, so to speak, in the prime timeline. Well, like has been the the case for, for a long time, comic books, novels, and video games are not canon, official canon in Star Trek. They are canon-like, they are canon-ish, uh, canon-esque, as, as it were, but the films and the television shows are canon. And so if one of those contradicts something that was written in a comic, a novel, video game, what have you, um, they're it's not a canon problem. Does that... What do you think, Greg? No, I'm with you. And I think... I know there's always those people out there that laugh. I'm like, oh, why do you care? Just watch it. I'm like, well, stuff like this is important when it comes to, you know, stories and story writing. Is if Lord of the Rings ends with the ring being destroyed as, as Smeagol grasps it, and then it turns out that Frodo was dreaming the whole time and wakes up, people are going to be like, this is stupid. They're not, they're not going to like the story. So canon is important for story, but it's also good to have rules and restrictions on what is and what is not canon. Because there are some crazy books out there. For mm-hmm. any kind of content, there are crazy books. So it's good to have limitations on what is and what is not considered part of the overall main story. And it's important for Picard because there is the Star Trek Picard countdown comic, a three-part series. And there's also some some novels coming out. And while these will tie in and help expand the story, they are not officially canon. And so if you read those, and I, I, I intend to, I've read the first two issues of the comic. But if you read those and then the show does something that contradicts what happens in those, it's not inconsistencies in canon. It's just, it's just not. It's not the way the production process works. And so I know it can be confusing and I know it can be complicated or maybe even make you feel like you shouldn't bother with the non-canon stuff. I just think about that as possibilities. It's it's lore for Star Trek. It's mythology for Star Trek. It's things that might have happened, that could have happened. And maybe something canon will confirm that those events took place. You know, um, in Star Trek, in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, it references uh, a particular plot thread in the video game that isn't quite canon, right? So, so anyway, B four does not become Data. Data, Data is dead, and it's very sad. So, Greg, let's talk about Data. What did you think of the dream sequences involving Data, particularly the opening to the show? I mean, I think it was important for what they're trying to push with the overall storyline of the synthetics and Data's quote-unquote daughters. So referencing Brent Spiner and Commander Data I thought was important. I like the subtle nuance of how the Dream is on the Enterprise-D, but he's but Data's wearing the uniform from the Enterprise-E. I like that because it's a dream. Things are going to be a little different, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm good with that. I'm good with them playing cards because that makes complete sense. Um, I like that it references what happened to Mars. I thought that was important. That was kind of a good eye catcher, especially for the opening of the episode. Overall, I liked I liked the dream sequences. I thought they were valuable to what the overall story is trying to tell. Like I said, I might have my gripes with my show with the show, but it's not related to those. Fair enough. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I thought the, they were interesting scenes. 
um, well-written. I, I thought they were really intriguing. The Mars stuff is really interesting. So if you listen to our last episode, Ray and I talked about Short Trek's Children of Mars, which is the first of the Short Trek shows to tie into um, the Picard show. So you can go and listen to that, but that's very interesting in itself. But to see it happen, to confirm when it kind of takes place and all that type of stuff is very interesting. Um, I liked it. I liked the, the, the whole card game I thought was really cool. The idea that Data would try and trick somebody into thinking he has a tell and his lack of a tell is in fact his tell. You know, and Picard, Picard trying to stretch it out to, to stall, right? He's offering sugar and cream and all of that because he doesn't want this to end. That's, you know, he, he makes the, he makes the statement later that it's the waking up that he's beginning to resent. And that's a really powerful line. The idea that this man who is this incredible person who's done amazing things that, that, you know, we can only dream of doing, um, he's at a point in his life where being awake is only a painful reminder of what he's lost over the years. And that's kind of a subtle throwback to generations when he's talking to Troy after his family is lost in the fire. And he's kind of alluding to the fact there's not going to be any more Picards. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have kids. Although I would argue in the 23, late 2300s, I'm sure he could have kids if he wanted um, but again, it's kind of, yeah, it's just, it's him wanting to live the life that he wants to live. And there's no shame in facing his twilight years, but it still doesn't mean it's easy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's some just really solid lines like, like that though, throughout this episode. Um, so we're nearing the hour mark here. Is there anything else, Greg, that, that you wanted to cover anything else you wanted to talk about in this first episode? Well, I think where the episode started to truly kind of lose me, and I, you know, I, I don't mind being that guy to criticize something I love, is Dodge is killed, which, okay, is kind of interesting for the story because it puts Picard back, but then it turns out, oh, she's a twin. And then I'm like, ah. Uh. And that's where I was like, oh, man, like, now now we know what the next series, the series of this stories is going to be, but what they show in one of the previews and even towards the end of the episode the Romulans have basically captured a perfectly intact Borg cube and are basically disassembling it I mean that is talk about a game changer for the Alpha Beta Quadrants right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that that's definitely a big deal the, so the twin thing is interesting so she has that necklace right and Picard brings the necklace to Dr. Girati and you know, she like immediately recognizes it. And I tweeted about this earlier today um, on my personal account, but like, it's a nice necklace and all, but is it really that unique of a design? It's just two overlapping circles. It's a Venn diagram is really all that it is. Yeah. There's nothing really that unique or special about it. At least I didn't, I didn't think so. I was hoping maybe like, Oh, this is made out of some rare material from a comet that was used to build the first Android. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of neat. But no, but it's yeah, just... <laughs> it's just a simple design. It's a pretty necklace, you know, and everything like that. But it didn't seem unique enough to garner that kind of recognition. You know, because like first Picard thinks it's really interesting and he looks at it and then he's suspicious enough to, you know, bring it back with you know, with him to Girardi. And she sees it and immediately knows what it is and explains all this cloning stuff. And so, like, I don't know. It just seems 
like if you're gonna do that maybe have a more complex design to whatever that is or make it have a message in it or something along those lines not just two circles intertwined i'm like nah that's now the board cube thing i mean i i I need to know so much more about that right because soji uh dodge's sister she's there she doesn't appear to be romulan but everybody else appears to be romulan um and you know that that seems pretty intense it's a it looks like it's almost i think it's a tactical board cube um it's a little hard to tell but i think it's an updated design of that uh and yeah it just it looks like they've kind of had it under control for quite some time and you know that's that's going to change the flow of things in the quadrant, right? Because this technology is, is very different. And if they can adapt Borg technology, that's a real game changer. Well, yeah. And I mean, when they end the episode, there are hundreds of little, you know, worker bee type ships just crawling around that, that Borg ship, you know, researching it, pulling things apart and all that. And the reason it's such a big deal to me is in first contact, the battle with the Borg, you know, if you read a lot, of, if you read a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, which I know is like beta canon, it's like the board, the battle with that board cube was like what, like a three-day running firefight or something, where reinforcements were coming in from the Federation all the time, and that board drone, that board ship was heavily damaged. This, that tactical ship did not look that heavily damaged, so it makes you kind of wonder. It's like, was it caught in the supernova energy field somehow, and it killed the drones, but didn't destroy the ship? It. That 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 ship alone, you know, you could create hundreds of stories on by itself. Absolutely. And I think we're going to find drones on that ship because there was a clip in one of the trailers that looked like a Romulan camp that was talking about, like, Borg incidences and things like that. So I think they, they, they captured them and they were disconnected from the hive somehow. And they're basically being held in, like, an internment camp on the on the cube. That's what you know, I if there's any species in Star Trek I do not want to try to keep contained, it's the Borg, just FYI. Right? Yeah. Um, all right, so anything else on this episode? No, that's about it. I know it's only the first episode, and we could probably keep talking about it for another hour or two, but I think this is a good pause point before before we, stu- we uh, start talking on episode two next week. Awesome. Um, so that, that Ready Room episode, Will Wheaton had on two guests, uh, Hanel Culpepper. She is the director of episodes one and two. And so she was on. That was cool to see. Um, historically speaking, she, this is this is also a big casting decision because she is the first uh, black woman director to uh, direct Star Trek. So that's a big deal. And so I thought she was great. And seeing her interview with Will was really fun. And they also had uh, Michael Chabon on, who is one of the creators of the show and one of the um, the writers and things of that nature. And so he has some behind-the-scenes production pitching kind of stuff to talk about, which was pretty cool. So if you're interested, you can go check that stuff out. At a minimum, you know, you can support Will Beaton a little bit. All right, well, then that's going to be it for us this week. Next week, we will review Episode 2 of Star Trek Picard, so join us for that next week Uh, we are starting a new promotion on our patreon patreon.com slash heroes podcasts um if you go out there and join our premium tier then you can get ad free versions of all of our uh upcoming episodes any anything new starting uh from last week across all of our shows on the heroes podcast network um just a, a nice way to help support the network and get some ad free content at the same time so go check that out 
Uh, you can catch Greg at the underscore Bittersteel on Twitter and me at the Star Trek Dude. You can also join both of us in our Facebook group, Red Shirts and Runabouts on Facebook. It's our forum. Uh, come talk Star Trek with us. We have spoiler uh, spoiler threads and spoiler free stuff. And we're, we're doing polls and talking about all the Star Trek things. So come talk to us out there. Otherwise, at Red Shirts Pod on Twitter or HeroesPodcasts.com. Subscribe to the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, you name it. Come subscribe. Come talk to us. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.